We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. In whose name we pray, amen. One of the most successful books of all time, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's been read by pastors and presidents. It's been read by moms and business leaders because everyone wants to be more effective in their life. And to be more effective, we're often all looking for role models. We're looking for highly effective people that we can imitate. And tonight, I want to show you from the Bible, as we start our new series in the book of Philippians, three habits of highly effective churches. Three habits of highly effective churches. And the church at Philippi, the the church that received the letter to the Philippians, is a great way to learn how to be an effective church. Because Philippians is one of the few letters in the New Testament that's mostly written about positive things. When we read most of the letters in the New Testament, they're, they're a response to new false teaching or, or new sin that's, cra- that's creeped up in the church. And Philippians is actually a thank you letter. You see, the Apostle Paul started the church at Philippi. We can read about that in Acts chapter 16. And from that moment that he started, it was the first church in Macedonia, which we now know of as Europe. So it's the first church in that region of the world. Paul started it. And from that time, as he continues to press on to start new churches and to have mercy ministries to meet the needs of people around the world, believers, the church at Philippi constantly supported Paul throughout the rest of his life. And he writes Philippians near the end of his life uh, in prison. We know that he's in prison because he says so in the letter, probably in the city of Rome. So he's nearing the end of his life and he reflects on his partnership with the Philippians for the past however many years as they've partnered with him in ministry, primarily financially and with their prayers. And, And they send him one last gift And Paul responds with a letter to the Philippians. It's one of the most awesome and comprehensive and awe-inspiring thank you letters that's ever been written. And it's not just a thank you letter. Paul does have some encouragements and some exhortations for the Philippian church, which we're going to see as we go through it over the next few months Uh, But primarily, it's a positive letter. The church at Philippi is a highly effective church. And as we look at Paul's letter to them, we can learn how we ourselves can become a highly effective church. Now, you might be thinking, I don't, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a deacon, I don't have anything to do with, with having a highly effective church that doesn't really speak anything to me, but a church is only as effective as the total sum of each of its members, 
So if you want your church to be effective, you as a church member have to be effective. And if you're not a member of a church, or if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then the letter to the Philippians is going to invite you into an awesome movement of God. It's going to invite you to put your faith in, in Jesus, who is a humble Savior, offering eternal life to you. And if you are a believer, if you are a member of a church, then Philippians, as we look at the church at Philippi as our role models, they're going to challenge us to become a more effective church. So today we're going to look at three habits of highly effective churches as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So let's start reading verses 1 and 2. Paul, a Timothy, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just a few observations here. Like we already said, Paul started the church at Philippi. You can read about that in Acts 16. It's an incredible story. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't know what to read in your Bible, I want to encourage you to sit in Acts 16 and just see the amazing things that God did uh, to bring Paul there, what God did through Paul once he was there, and just how uh, God magnified himself through Paul in Philippi to start the church. And he writes this letter with Timothy. Timothy's his partner in ministry who he went on a lot of missionary journeys with. And Paul is actually preparing to send Timothy to the Philippians uh, in a few months. And so probably by including Timothy on the letter, he's, he's starting to introduce them to Timothy and bolster Timothy's credibility. And uh, he writes the letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. So, so he's writing to a particular church. It's a church that's in a city of Philippi. And he's writing specifically to all the saints that are there. Now that word has a lot of baggage in our culture. We, we often think about uh, the Catholic church. We often think about a, a long process and, and people that maybe we pray to or maybe not. Um, but that's not how the Bible uses the word saints. The word saints really just means holy one. And so when the, when the Bible uses the word saint, all you need to think about is a holy one. And because the people that it describes are in Christ, are Christians, that's, that's all that the word saints means. It means somebody that's in Christ, someone that is a Christian. So if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you could call yourself a saint. I wouldn't recommend that when you go into work tomorrow and say, hey everybody, St. Doug's here. Nobody's going to appreciate that. And he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now, Philippi is a thriving metropolitan city. It's full of businesses. It's, a, it's a, a, a really a crossroads for politics and trade and philosophy and religion. Philippi really is a crossroads. It's a thriving city. It's a large city. It's probably a growing city at this time. And that's why it's so strategic that such a healthy church is there. Including, so he writes to all the saints, including the overseers and deacons. So, so we're going to see that the church at Philippi is a healthy church with a healthy structure. Similar to our church, it's led by multiple overseers, which is another term for pastor, 
and deacons who are servants who come alongside the church to help them and serve them. It's a healthy church with a healthy structure. And then Paul closes his introduction by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this highly effective church hasn't graduated from the grace of God. It's not as if they've decided that, you know, I think we've got this church thing figured out. I think we've got this Christianity thing figured out. God, we can take it from here. You can go on to the rest of Europe. We don't really need your grace anymore. No, they need God's grace constantly. And and similarly, if we're going to be a highly effective church or if you're going to be a highly effective person, it, it needs to center on a constant need for God's grace and God's peace. We don't graduate from God's grace. And so with that introductory material out of the way, let's dive into the meat of the letter. Like most of Paul's letters, he starts out by giving thanksgiving for the church, by just thanking God and thanking the church for their faithfulness. And it's in this thanksgiving and prayer that we're going to discover these three habits of a highly effective church. First... The Philippians are a church with a good goal, a good goal. They're not a selfish church, but rather they're committed to support ministry. Let's, let's read together verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Now let's just pause right there. That's some big statement that Paul's making here. He's saying that whenever I think about that person, I give thanks for them. Think about the person that's alive today that you respect more than anyone else. If that person said, you know, whenever I think about so-and-so, I always thank God. Wouldn't you want to be more like so-and-so? Of course you would. Because that's a highly effective person that you want to imitate. So why does Paul give thanks? Why does Paul always thank God whenever he thinks about the Philippians? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul describes the Philippians as his partners in the gospel. And they've been his partners in the gospel from their very beginning as Christians. They didn't wait until they were mature enough to start participating in God's ministry. Instead, immediately they started praying for ministry and supporting ministry. And as we'll see in the rest of the letter, their primary means of supporting Paul's ministry was financial. And so the church at Philippi is a great example of a church that was serious about missions and showed that commitment with their wallets. Is that true about our church? Is our church committed to partnership in the gospel so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth? That will only be true about our church if each and every one of us 
is committed to be a partner in the gospel, if every one of us is committed to be serious about God's mission. The Philippian church had a good goal to support ministry to the ends of the earth. Do we have a good goal? Let's just tease that out a little bit. We're talking about money, so we're going to get a little uncomfortable, okay? How do we do that? As we look at the rest of the New Testament, we see a few different ways. Number one, we support our pastors. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. And so that's not an opinion from a man. That's not an exhortation from Pastor Grant. This is just my invitation to you as a fellow church member, and it's God's command to you through the Bible to support those who teach us week in and week out. Our pastors are not perfect. Otherwise, we would not need Savior. But they are faithful, and for that, we support them. And we help them. We give to our church, and we pray for them. We support our pastors. We also support the global mission of God. The primary mission of the church given by Jesus is not just that individual churches would grow, but that the global church would grow around the world. Jesus' last words on earth are found in the closing of the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, right before he, he ascends into heaven to sit on a throne next to God for the rest of eternity, till he comes back, so this is pretty important, this is the climax of his ministry, he's saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's saying, I'm the king of the universe. I've got something important to say to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is just another fancy word. It's like saint. It just means a follower of Jesus. It means a Christian. So Jesus is saying, go And make Christians. How do we make Christians? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Most of us need to expand our vision of God's will. Most of us think way too small. Maybe we think about our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces. Maybe some of us think about the United States or North America. And maybe we think about missions every now and then, like every six months when we pray for for Ken to go to Kenya. Maybe we think about the nations then. But but when when we see churches like Philippi, we see a church that's obsessed with missions, and that should be true about all of us too. We should be obsessed with missions when we read the prayer requests on Wednesday night for people that don't have the gospel that should break our hearts and that we we should see that need and we should do whatever we can to meet it, starting with our prayers, moving to our wallets, and then considering that some of us need to go or those people are not going to be reached. 
Clancy told me one time, there's three options for Christians. You're either going or sending or sinning. There's three options. You're either going or sending or sinning. We are apathetic about the state of the unreached. I personally don't care that billions, with a B, live in a world with no access to the good news of Christ. And that's sin. And I need to do something about it. And all of us need to take the example of the church at Philippi and we need to make their good goal our good goal. We need to make that the beating life drum of our hearts. If you're not going to go as a missionary, which just means someone that crosses cultures to bring the good news about Jesus to somewhere that it's never been, if you're not going to do that, and you need to consider doing that, but if you're not going to do that, then you need to be sending, you need to be faithfully giving so that other people can go. Now, how do we do that? As Southern Baptists, we have an awesome program called the Cooperative Program, where, where individual church members like us give to our local church, the local church then gives a portion of that to a state convention which focuses on the spread of the gospel throughout Kentucky and to a national denomination which then disperses those funds to a number of different entities including and most importantly the International Mission Board which is the largest mission sending organization in the world. And that sounds kind of complicated, but basically when you give to your church, it's going to the ends of the earth. It's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We're not interested in giving to our church so that Grant can have a bigger house or a, or a nicer phone or, or so that we can have more comfortable pews. We're interested in giving to our church so that people that otherwise will never hear about Jesus will hear about him and by the grace of God will trust him and believe him and be saved and will meet him in heaven. And that's awesome. Don't you want to be a part of that? Why would you be content to waste your life doing anything else? You're either going or you're sending or you're sinning. The Philippians are a model of a highly effective church because they have a good global goal. But, 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 but you don't understand my situation. It's just not a good time. I'm not in a really good place to give my money. Let's read what Paul says about the Philippian church. Because, you know, Philippi, it's a thriving city. Lots of business owners are in this church. So they're, it's probably a pretty wealthy church, you know. So they, they've, they're probably in a category unto themselves, right? No. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 through 5. So whatever excuse you have about why you can't go or give to missions, whatever excuse you have, put that at the front of your mind and compare it to what Paul says about the Philippians in 2 Corinthians. So he's writing to another church and he's saying, hey, look at this church because they're a highly effective church. They've got a good global goal. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 through 5. During a severe trial brought about by affliction... 
their abundant joy, talking about the Philippians, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. The Philippians have a good goal. They value what God values, and they showed that with their wallets. Do you value what God values enough that you would give beyond your ability? That means making sacrifices so that other people will hear about Christ. The Philippian church was a sending church, primarily. They gave a lot so that Paul could bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. We also need to think about going. If you're a student or a young person, you need to consider the fact that people need your career skills in the Middle East and in North Africa and in Eastern Europe and in Central Europe. And in Southeast Asia, those are all places where the gospel is is difficult to find. And you could bring your career skills there. If you're a student or if you know students or if you're a young person starting a career, you need to think about the fact that your skills, God might have so providentially given you your skills and passions so that you could do them in another place. Put that on the table. At least consider it. For those of you that are older, you need to consider what your retirement is going to be like. Is it going to be a selfish time for you to sit on a hammock and and enjoy grandbabies? Not that any of those things are bad. But, But God's actually given a wealth of opportunities to people out of their retirement to start second careers on the other side of the world in places that people would never hear about Jesus, that missionaries can't get to, but you can because you've got 40 plus years of job experience. You need to consider going. If you won't go, you need to send. The Philippians are a good church with a good global goal. Number two, second second habit of a highly effective church, they have a good growth. They're growing in maturity. Let's read together in verse 9. And I pray this, Paul writes, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in the knowledge and every kind of discernment. So he's praying that they would learn more about God, and we do that through his word, He's praying that their knowledge would continue to increase and with their knowledge, their discernment would increase. Discernment, it's an, there's too many $10 words in this, in this passage. Discernment just means being able to choose a good thing from a bad thing and being able to choose the best thing out of a number of good options. That's all that discernment means. But why does Paul want them to be better choosers? Why does he want them to know more and be able to choose better? Why? Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are superior 
and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. But also, look at verse 9. Look at the beginning of verse 9. What kind of growth is Paul asking from the Philippians? He's asking that their love would keep on growing. So we grow in knowledge and we grow in discernment so that we would be able to walk in purity, but also so that we would better be able to love other people. If we know discernment, if we're wise from God's word, then we'll be able to serve other people. Primarily just because we'll think about them more. As we study God's word and learn about God's values, he'll transform our minds so that when it says that you may choose the thing, you may approve the things that are superior, that's, that's what it means. It means that we'll, we'll approve the things that are superior, choosing instead of serving ourselves to serve others. And also to stay pure, to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So we love God and we love others. We love God by walking in obedience and humility and purity. And we love others by choosing to serve them, choosing to seek their rights, not our own. So the purpose of growing in knowledge, the reason that we read the Bible, the reason that we preach the Bible, the reason that we listen to sermons, the reason that we do church activities is to be built up in love for God and others. And when I say love, that's not a feeling, it's a verb, it's an action. Love is something that you do, it's not something primarily that you feel. And so if your church and your spiritual activities aren't leading you to more frequently and actively serve other people, you're a Pharisee. The point of growing in knowledge, the point of growing in wisdom, is that your love would keep on growing. And Paul writes about the Philippians. He says, I pray that your love would keep on growing. You've got a good growth. I pray that you would keep on with this pattern. Would Paul say that about you? Would Paul say that you've got a good growth? That you're growing in love and maturity? That other people are more and more and more blessed because of you. The Philippians are a highly effective church. They've got a good global goal. They've got good growth. And we should emulate those things. Now, are you exhausted yet? Because that's a lot of things that we have to do. We have, to, we have to give our money. We have to think about selling all our stuff and moving to the other side of the earth. We have to love people. We have to mow the lawns of widows. We have to serve people. We have to serve in church. We have to participate wherever we can. That's a lot of stuff. <coughs> Who has time for any of that? That's the third habit of a highly effective church. The Philippians have a good goal and a good growth, but most importantly, they've got a good God. And a good God helps those who have a good goal. I skipped over verse 6. But there Paul writes, so he's, he's thanking the Philippians for everything that they've done for the global spread of the gospel. This is a monumental church. And Paul, they've, they've sacrificed a ton um, alongside deep, serious suffering. They've sacrificed a ton. 
And what does Paul say about them? He doesn't say, man, you guys are the heroes. He says Jesus is the hero. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Later on in Philippians, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's not the prosperity gospel saying that if you give, God will multiply so that you can have a better life. Rather, it's just saying, it's an economics lesson saying that if you give to what God loves, he will take care of you. You can trust him. Do you trust God? You can because he's good. You can trust him with your money as you give to our church and to the spread of the gospel. And you can trust him with your life because he's good. He's good. Why would you trust God for your eternal life, but you wouldn't trust him with your 80 or so years that you have on this earth? Why wouldn't you say, God, whatever you'll have me do, this life is yours. My money is yours. My time is yours. Use it to serve others and to send your gospel to the ends of the earth. And when you do that, know that God will take care of you. Because he's good. God helps those who have a good goal. And God brings about growth by grace. Verse 11. So he's praying that these people would be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes where? It comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our righteousness, our goodness does not come from our own activity or our own ability. It comes from the activity and the work and the action of Jesus. He brings about our salvation where he looks at us as sinners and he says, you're not guilty, but because I took your guilt away, you're innocent. And then after we become Christians, he helps us every single day. He has an ongoing work where he is working to make us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. Trust God to save you from sin's consequences and trust God to empower you, to help you be free from sin's presence, from sin's power in your life. You don't have to sin if you're a Christian. God invites us to be a part of something amazing. He invites us to give our lives away for the good of those around us and for the glory of his name to the ends of the earth. That's an awesome, awesome mission. I pray that we wouldn't waste our lives, but that we would consider to live as Christ and to die to give this life away is gain. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would just bear fruit from your word. I pray, Father, that, that you would help us to see if we, whether or not we know you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to trust you, whether for the first time or for the millionth time. I pray that you would help us to trust you. I pray that you would teach us to trust you. Not just with a distant eternity, but with our present realities. I pray that you would teach us to trust you and to honor you with our time and with our money and with our commitments and with our passions and with our loves. Father, I pray that you would change 
each of our lives and that you would change our church so that we become committed to the things that you're committed to. I thank you that you've given us new life and I pray that we would give this life away. It's for your name we pray. Amen.